So for all the fathers in the room, happy Father's Day. Uh, at, at the end of our gathering, we're going to, uh, hopefully the kids will have some things to distribute to you, and we're going to honor and pray for you. Um, this is the first Father's Day that I can say I'm a father, and uh, it's, good to, it's good to see little one over there, and it's good to be together as a family uh, this morning. So we're in this series called Steps of Faith, from the, no- from the known to the unknown. And... Uh, We've been looking at the scriptures, at the lives of the ancients, these men and women whose, whose stories are recorded in the scriptures and whose lives can help us understand what it might mean to follow God, to be people of faith. Um, Hebrews 11 is a roll call of these men and women, these ancients as I like to call them. Um, we have Cain and Abel, Enoch. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, Rahab, right through to the prophets, to Jesus himself. And that phrase at the start, I think, of Hebrews 12, which says, this great cloud of witnesses who have ran the race before us, cheering us on in our faith. And we've seen uh, in this series that faith does not equal certainty. Um, it's actually more a word that kind of captures a trust and a trusting And Anne Lamott says that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. So we're not called to be a certain people. She says certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, the discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. And so faith is this trusting participation in the story of God. It's a road that we walk that brings meaning and beauty to our lives. We don't make up the story. We participate in it. And faith exists alongside any fears and doubts that we might have. They're not incompatible. Because faith is this deep trust in God in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of the lack of certainty, where he calls us to trust him. Eugene Peterson says that when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not led to see God in our stories, but that our story is in God's. That God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. And so this series we've been in, you know, Steps of Faith from the Known to the Unknown, is helping us to choose to participate in that story despite not having the facts or all the understanding and in Hebrews 11 there's this little passage and I read it last week we looked at the life of David and the little passage just says this and what more shall I say I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength. That's that little, the end of that little roll call of the ancients. That story that we're part of. And there's a little reference in there just after David is mentioned, and it just says the prophets. And I kind of want to speak about the prophets this morning, all of them. (laughs) So we're going to be here, like I said last week, until five o'clock tonight, so settle in. (laughs) No, we're going to, I'd love to just kind of touch on the general thrust of what we might glean as followers of Christ about the prophetic tradition and the prophets, the Hebrew prophets, what they might 
what they might say to us today. Stephanie is going to be preaching next week. So if you get tired of me this morning, there's going to be a different voice sharing next week. And she's going to be speaking about one of these prophets, one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk. And then I'm going to finish up our series on the 3rd of July, actually speaking about the prophet Jesus um, to finish our series, Steps of Faith. So who were these prophets for a start? These are men and women called by God, filled with God's Spirit to, to be the voice of, of God, especially speaking into the lives of people who'd found themselves distant from God. The prophet was sent, in a sense, to be the voice of God, um, less of a preacher, perhaps, and more of a whistleblower, perhaps. Someone who's there to speak truth when no one else wants to speak truth, particularly to a tribe or a nation. When it comes to the Hebrew prophets, like mentioned in Hebrews 11 there, the prophets, and we could go anywhere in Israel's history to look for those. Moses was a, a prophet um, delivering the people out of slavery in, in Egypt. Um, the people had turned from God and he, he was God's mouthpiece, if you will. He was the prophet. And in the Old Testament, of course, we could look to Deborah or Samuel or Nathan or Elijah or Elisha. But there are prophets in the scriptures whose, whose words were written down in books. And that's, I think, who we want to like reflect upon today. Um, their words and deeds were collected in these separate books that are in our scriptures, the final 17 books of the Old Testament. Some of them, right from Isaiah to, to Malachi, the latter prophets or you know, some of them might be called the literary prophets um, because indeed their words were written down. And when they were alive, these men and women were not taken seriously at all. In fact, they were often pushed away and punished and flogged and mocked and shamed. But the tradition, as it reflects back on these men and women, saw such truth and value and in, in their lives and in their words and their deeds that they collated them into the scriptures. We have Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are known as the major prophets. And then we have these 12 minor prophets, um, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. My Sunday school, rep, you know, I learned that in Sunday school. I should, I should have really learned that off by heart, really, to prove that I'm actually a Christian. And if you think about it, a big scroll would have been unveiled and on each scroll you would have had these words written and Isaiah had a scroll and Jeremiah had a scroll and Ezekiel had a scroll and then the 12 minor prophets, they kind of shared a scroll so all 12 of them were on the one scroll and it's not because there was kind of different levels of authority or importance there, it was just simply the way that these works were put together. These were I mean, I don't know about you when you went to careers class in school. When I went to careers class in high school, I couldn't find profit on the list of professions that you could enter into. You kind of wonder, like, how, what, what is a profit? How, you know, it's, this is obviously not a profession. These people were poets. They were artists. They were storytellers. They, they were people who saw the world differently. And some of them were performance artists. Some of them embodied their message, like Isaiah, who lived barefoot and naked for three whole years to, in, in a sense, illustrate the plight that the nation had come into. What was the purpose of these men and women? In the Old Testament, I suppose the law was designed in the Old Testament, the law given to Moses was designed to help God's people become a just and a worshiping society, a just 
and a worshipping society, a worshipping community and a community of shalom, of justice. And the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments speak to the worship part and the last six speak to the justice part. That's kind of the law. But the prophets, they were the people that came along when Israel failed to live up to the law, when they failed to be a worshipping and just society, when they failed to be a worshipping and just community. And these people would they would speak truth to power, and they would call Israel back to fidelity, to trust, to obedience, an old-fashioned word there, to, and essentially the, the prophets were focused on two things, really. When you read all the prophets, if you want to do that, it really was about worship and justice. It was about, their, their problem was with idolatry, and their problem was with injustice. And these are the two themes Wrong, misguided worship and wrong treatment of neighbor. And the prophets were those that would call that out when it had gone wrong. A worshiping and just society was the vision, the dream of God, if you will. And we talked about the dream of God when we looked at the life of Joseph. And they would do this creatively through poetry at times. And when you read the prophets, you kind of can't distinguish is that the prophet speaking or is that God's voice? It's like there's a symbiotic relationship between the messenger and the Lord. There's, it's like this is the representative of God. The, the amazing thing was that nations had prophets. Other nations had prophets. But the, and the main role that they would have is to call out their enemies. They were like kind of smack talk. <laughs> The interesting thing about the prophets of Israel were that they, well, they also did the smack talk too because, hey, they're, they're human, but they interestingly, uniquely called out their own people. They called out their own nation. They told the truth about their own society, I guess because they were so passionate about it and about the vision of this dream of God, this just and worshiping society, this vision of everything whole and everything at peace. And so there were these characters, these disruptive, wholly disruptive characters that brought critique and also brought judgment. And in a sense, Christ himself is the, is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. He said early in his ministry that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And of course, in the transfiguration, Christ appears with Elijah and with Moses, the law and the prophets symbolized there. And Christ is the continuation of the prophetic tradition. He's, he stands in that lineage. And in, in a sense, he kind of continues to do the work of the prophets. Symbolic, what happened on that mountain at the transfiguration. And so I guess today I wanted to talk about, I mean, what has any of this got to do with, with us today? And, and what can we glean in about the next whatever, 14 and a half minutes that we have this morning. I want to talk about, I guess I want to talk about one thing, and it's the posture of the prophets. Because I think the posture of the prophets is in fact the posture that we can take as followers of Jesus. If you want to read more about any of this, read Walter Brueggemann's book, The Prophetic Imagination. But today... We're just going to talk about the posture of the prophets. And the posture of the prophets starts with two sides, two parts, I would say. 
it's like kind of there's one foot here and there's kind of one foot here. And they kind of, the posture itself is unique. And I feel like we're called to it as followers of Christ. Firstly, the prophets were, they were rooted in their tradition. They were rooted in the mosaic tradition. Walter Brueggemann actually calls it the Moses memory. They had Moses memory. They were committed to the story. They were fully participating in the story that they had found themselves in. The story of Sinai, the story of the, the people of Israel being delivered out of the hand of Pharaoh, the story of the, the giving of the commandments and the, and the institution of the covenant with Yahweh. They were committed to what came before. And I guess connected to that is kind of reality and truth, all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly of that story. And yet on the other side, their other foot was in the world of possibilities. What could be? They kind of straddle and have this posture of what came before and then what could be. The tradition, and I would call that the imagination, the imagination of possibilities, the dream of God for the world, rooted in tradition, you might call that even worship and covenant, and yet imagination of what could be, you might call that the justice and shalom, and they kind of had a foot in both places, and in, in, a, in a sense, these positions are not enemies, they're not contradicting one another they're not there's a tension but it's like a holy tension and in fact it's that it's that posture of having a foot here and having a foot here being rooted in the past and yet having an imagination for the future that actually helped them interpret their world very uniquely it was if they didn't have one or the other they could not see the way the prophets saw it was because of their unique posture that they could interpret their contemporary world uniquely. They had that memory of life under Pharaoh, which was a, a world of control, of commodity, of brick making. And then they had the story of liberation, which in fact is the story of liberation through Moses. And that's the memory they had, the tradition, the, God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the covenant of God, the promise of God, the faithfulness of God. They had that in their mind. And yet, they also have this vivid imagination informed by that story of, of what this world could be. And so when that old world of Pharaoh popped up again and again and again and the, Israel, the nation of Israel fell back again and again and again and got distant from God and kind of came back to God and then kind of went away from God and came back to God and went away from God. That's literally the story of Israel. Back and through, back and through. And the prophets continually called them back to remember the story, but yet pointed them away from that old world that they were part of, the brick-making, commodity, control, greed, abuse world, into the new world that God had for them. And so there's this posture of the prophet, and it's expressed in this beautiful poetic way across all of those 17 books. The rootedness in the, in the story of God, and yet this imagination for what could be. And I think it's summed up 
in two verses really well. I'm going to take these two passages and I've borrowed them from Walter Brueggemann. One is from Jeremiah 4, and it'll be up on the screen, and the other is from Isaiah. Jeremiah 4, 23 to 26. I'm just going to read it, and then we'll, we'll explain it. Jeremiah 4, 23 to 26 says this, I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty, and at the heavens and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. At the hills were swaying. I looked, and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert. All of its towns lay in ruin before the Lord. That's kind of the heaviness of Jeremiah. It's kind of the soberness of Jeremiah. It kind of feels heavy, and it feels like there's a stark assessment there as he looks around. But it is connected to this rootedness. It's connected to this tradition because when you read and understand that passage, it's essentially a complete reversal of the Genesis narrative, the creation narrative in reverse. He's informed by the story of God as a good creator and the world as a world of shalom, the way it should be. And when he sees the world around him, he compares the world around him to that. And and he writes this, heavy, heavy passage, but reality, but it's totally informed by what should be. And I guess maybe that's us today. We look around and we do find ourselves as Christians, as people of faith, and yet the world kind of just feels like it's kind of, it's not supposed to be this way. Like, you're informed by the tradition, you're informed by the faithfulness of God, you're informed by the story of God. You believe in all of that. You have that memory of what he has done in your past. And you look around and you think, this does not add up to that. It does not add up to that. It feels like the world's maybe slipping away from what it should be. That's kind of that first passage. That's the, that's the, po- the, the, the poetic prophet lamenting the state of the world, but totally informed by his tradition of what should be. And the second passage then is from Isaiah. Isaiah 43, verse 18, it says this, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? So that kind of feels a little contradictory. Don't remember Don't like look back to your story so far. But the big point here is that there's something new happening. The prophet Isaiah has a vision of God and the world that should be and yet kind of speaks it into existence. There's a new thing happening. There's new shoots growing. Still with the mosaic memory, still with the memory of God as the faithful deliverer, but kind of saying to his, his people, pay attention to the new things happening. There's new creation all around. There's miracles of rebirth all around. Pay attention to that. Don't sit in the stuckness of reality, but with faith, have eyes to see what God is doing that is new. Can you perceive it? We've talked about this theme before, paying attention. There's something about the way that we see, the way that we look that is so important to the life of faith. We talked about that in the life of Moses. 
he could have walked past that bush and the bush was alive in a flame and he had eyes to perceive and see that there was, that was holy ground. And in a sense, as people of faith, we walk through this world in the same way, perceiving the new thing. What is the new thing that is right there if only we can perceive it as people of faith? Walter Brueggemann, he says this, the task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, to nourish, and to evoke a consciousness and a perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. Basically, the role of the prophetic is to say things don't have to stay the same way that they are. The status quo does not have to continue. There's a different way to live. There's a different way to do things. There's a different way to be in the world. I love what Brian Zahn says. He says, so you want a prophet because you want to know the truth that lies beyond the official script. You want to see beyond the veil. Good for you, but keep in mind what the prophets are. Prophets are seers. They see what we do not. They see behind the curtain. They're not fooled by smooth words or sleight of hand. The prophet is vital because the prophet can help us recover our imagination. We had imagination once as children, as children who can enter the kingdom of God. Children can enter the kingdom of God as Christ taught, but we grew up and our imagination in the kind of pharaoh world kind of gets worn down, the so-called real world. Yet we need the help of the prophet, I would say the prophetic tradition, I would say the life of faith, to recover our imagination. Remember, the prophet is ever and always controversial. The prophet doesn't salute the status quo. The prophet offers withering critique. The prophet dares to speak of alternatives, alternatives that some might find threatening. There's this very unique posture in the scriptures with the prophet, the rootedness of what's come before and the faith, the imagination of what might be. And there's, I can't see that posture many other places. I kind of feel like it's kind of either over here, kind of what's come before and let's conserve that, or people kind of live over here. It's like what could be, we don't need to worry about the past and what's come before us. And there's a unique, I would say, a work of the Holy Spirit that kind of leads us into this posture of the prophet, which kind of embraces what has come and also looks to what could be. I think that is what it means to be a faithful community, to be a follower of Christ. And indeed, you can see it in the world and even in the church today, and it comes not from the places that you would expect it. It comes from the poets, comes from the authors, comes from the artists who can speak truth to power, who can speak out that different way of being that threatens the status quo, that threatens the pharaohs of this world, that threatens the, the people that want to keep this world a commodity world. Truth to power, the prophet th speaks and declares that God is doing a new thing. There's a new way to be in the world. So these ancients, these men and women, these prophets, they're like poets, and they describe the world using the gifts they have. Maybe you're creative in this room today. You need to use your creative gifts to, to manifest, to embody the world that you see, the good world that kind of you dream of. Show us what is possible. And of course, in time, 
the powers that be will want to squash and silence the prophetic voice, maybe in your own life. Maybe your own, there's a voice in your own mind wants to squash that down. That's not realistic. That's not possible. But what people of power or even that voice of power in our head always discover is that you can't silence the prophets. You can't silence the poets. You can't silence the creatives. You cannot silence the spirit at work because the spirit will do what the spirit will do. And I feel like every call, the calling of every Christian, even here in our community at Redeemer, is to continue to pay attention to the, to the voice of possibility of the new thing and to use our gifts and to put ourselves in a position to live and participate fully in that story. And that is the story of faith. Not capitulating to the, the voice that says we need to keep it as it is, but having one foot in that tradition and let it inform the world that we want to build together. So we look back at the story that we're part of. To be a person of faith means we look around at the reality of the world as it is today. And the story of faith is that we look forward with hopeful imagination of what might be. That's the, the, the posture of the prophet. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Never stuck in the past, unable to move. Never given in to despair about the present never hopeless that things could not change. I guess the question I have for you today, for us today to consider, to reflect upon as we leave today is, is, is where are you today? Where are you today? Where, where do you live in this posture? Are you rooted but completely stuck? Have you lost sight of what might be? Are you kind of looking forward but in dread because you lost your bearings, you're disconnected to the story, you're not sure whether you've got the coordinates right, you're all about the future, but it fills you with dread. I guess my story, my, I guess the good news today, the gospel today is that, that God is our anchor, his love is constant, and the dream of this world, remaining as it is, remaining what, as what it could be, is still alive, despite what your reality looks like, despite if it feels like a dead end, if it feels confusing, if it feels hopeless, if it feels like nothing is changing. I want us to know this morning, Redeemer, that God is in the business of new life, resurrection life. Behold, I am doing a new thing. My encouragement to us is to, like Moses, have eyes to see the burning bushes all around us, to be a rooted people participating in the story that we're part of, have the posture of the prophetic and have the imagination of what this world could be, what your world could be, what this community could be, of what this city could be. Redeemer, may we allow the prophets, the prophetic tradition that comes to us through Christ inform our posture as individuals and as a church. May it encourage faith in us. May it encourage trust in the goodness of God. May it connect us to the story of creation and recreation, of shalom and justice. And in Christ, may we look forward with a powerful imagination that God is doing a new thing always. Can we perceive 
it. I'd love to invite Fra up. He's going to lead us in some worship. And I'd love to invite you all to stand. And we're going to come to the table of Christ this morning. And as we come to the table, I, just, I would love to just pray over us the lyrics of this song, which are sum up a, a blessing for us, a prayer for us. And the prayer would be this. Come like dawn, like grace, like sunshine. Bring this world to life. Come like rain, like breath, like springtime. Bring this world to life. Let me invite you just to maybe close your eyes, just to put your feet kind of on the, on the ground and feel the, the floor beneath you holding you. Maybe you want to put out your hands if you want to get into a posture of receiving. Let me just speak these words out over you today. I pray that in your life, God, you would come like dawn, like grace, like sunlight. Bring our world to life. Come like rain, like breath, like springtime. Bring this world to life. Amen.